If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 45, as we continue our story of Joseph, uh, incredible story that God reveals our own stuff in his story. I don't know about you. I don't know where you've been through this journey. If you're just new to us today, welcome. It's great to have you. But even this week, I'm telling you, uh, God has a way. Uh, I would much rather just preach this stuff and have to live through it, right? I'd much rather just tell you of how you need to live and all your brokenness, but it's amazing what God's word does. Uh, he, he reveals to me, he reveals to me in sometimes painful ways of uh, how desperately I need the gospel and how beautiful Jesus is and yet how broken my family story is and how much he's got to still uh, work to do and work to do that begins here. So uh, I'm glad that God has given us his word that we can gather around because I know I'm a work in progress and I know uh, you are as well. Let's, let's begin with a question. What family secret do you have? Uh, what family secret? Maybe it's something you've carried a really, really long time. Uh, maybe it's a really well-kept secret, one that, that no one else knows. Maybe not even your spouse or those closest to you. But what is that family secret? What's that What's that family shame uh, that, that maybe you're carrying? A, a shame of something that happened to you or, or through you uh, that's a secret that you would love to keep? What's about a family sin? A sin that maybe even a generational thing that, that seems to repeat itself over and over and over again. Is it an addiction or abuse or, or something that's, that's really dark? What skeletons do you have in your closet? Now, if you don't have any, um, let me just give a mirror test so you make sure you have a fog of mirror. Because we all have skeletons in our closet, do we not? I mean, there's not one closet here that's empty uh, of things that we wouldn't like to, to uh, kind of flesh out. So that's the reality. And, and the love of God is this. God loves us so much that he's going to shine light into those closets. He loves us so much that he's not crazy about family secrets. As a matter of fact, the things that we hide, the things that especially bring us shame, uh, the things that just remind us of brokenness, God has a loving way. And, and, and oftentimes, I got to be honest, it's a painful way. But God has a loving way of, of bringing things into the light of Christ so that those secrets will not define us, but he will. Bring it into his marvelous light so he can heal us. Well, Joseph's brothers have a huge family secret, do they not? And they've been living on this family secret for, for over 20 some odd years. And, and the family secret that the brothers have kept is this, is that their brother Joseph, he wasn't killed by a wild animal. Although they produced his robe of many colors covered in blood, and although they told a story, they wove a tale, and although their dad even believed, at least to some degree, the story. They had a family secret that it was really their betrayal. It was their hatred. It was these brothers that would sell their very own brother, their flesh and blood into slavery. And then they would scheme up the story that would pierce their father's heart to the core. But God being God is shining light into the family secret. And remember, this is a special family to God. This is God's family where blessing is going to come. And as we are part of God's family, let me tell you, this is our family. This is, this is our story. If someone is referred to as seeing things in black and white, what kind of person is that? Well, they say things in black and white. Usually it doesn't mean that they're 
colorblind like some of us are. When they see things in black and white, they, they see things as they are, right? They're black and white kind of people. Well, we need to be not just black and white, see things as they are. We need to be more than just two-dimensional and maybe three-dimensional. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say to you that for us to understand life, listen, for us to understand life, to understand God's word, we need to be God-dimensional. We need to be God-dimensional. We need, we, need, we need to see life through the lens of, of who God is and his word and, and the gospel. And so today we're going to see Joseph respond in a God-dimensional way. Seeing is the key today. Seeing. It's going to be seeing because he's going to reveal himself to his brothers today. It's incredible. I love it. Last week um, at the end of the service, I think I'd never seen this lady before. She, she went out and she goes, well, how does it end? I mean, how does this Joseph story end? I mean, it's just, it's like a cliffhanger every week and it's not over this week. We still got two more weeks to go, but we're going to see much resolution today. And again, seeing is the key. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 45. Good news, just one chapter of scripture this week, unlike two that we had last week, but that was an incredible story. So let's hear God's word as revealed to us in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could, no, could, could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Now, Joseph's about to reveal himself to his brothers. Of course, this is emotional. But we have to understand to the Egyptians, your leaders don't show emotion. They heard him cry. Even Pharaoh heard that Joseph is incredibly emotional. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? He's asked this question, but he never used the personal pronoun, my. Is your father still alive? Now he's saying, is my father still alive? Brothers, but his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Do you think? Do you think? Have you ever just been completely speechless? Don't forget the one that they thought they killed who has all the power and authority is the one who says, I'm Joseph. Now Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Let's, let's hit pause here. He, he's probably really going to say, listen, I'm the one you sold into your brother. I'm the one you sold into slavery. I know the secret. I mean, he wants them to know, I'm really Joseph. I know the secret. I'm the one you sold. One more hitting pause. I'll never forget Chuck Green preaching this message. Um, again, we, how many sermons are you going to remember? You know how humbling it is? You'll probably remember like two of my sermons in your lifetime. Good job with you, right? How much time we put into these things? But Chuck preached through Joseph years and years and years ago. And by the way, I got a text yesterday to find out that today is the 28th anniversary of our very first Sunday worshiping in here. Have we not used this place pretty well? That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Wow, it's pretty, it really is incredible. 
But uh, Chuck said, which no other commentator said, it was a Chuck Greenism. When he called his brothers close, he revealed that he was Jewish and his circumcision. That comes from our founding pastor. <laughs> All right. And now do not be distressed. Now he says, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. You did it for God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which they will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. This promise of God will not die. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh and Lord of the house and ruler of over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord over all of Egypt. Come to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. And there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and that you uh, and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now you see the eyes of my brother and now you're, uh, I'm sorry, and now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. Remember, this is his blood brother as far as the same dad and mother. And Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And that his brothers talked, and after that, his brothers talked with him. You think? Wow. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beast and go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your household and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the lamb. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. Hit pause again. The people who are first hearing this are carrying wagons and carts that have just come from Egypt that God has brought a plague to deliver them home. What an incredible picture that they would say, wow, this is truly our family story. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, do not quarrel along the way. We'll unpack that in a minute. 
So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to him, the spirit of their father, Jacob revived. And Israel, remember that's Jacob, and Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let us pray. Father, what an incredible story that your hand is clearly narrating for your glory. Thank you, God, for this, not just family reunion, but family reconciliation, family redemption. Thank you for dealing with family secrets the way you do. Deal with ours. Expose ours to the gospel light too. God, give me a broken sinner words to say that are empowered by your spirit. Give us ears to hear your voice, minds to understand your word, hearts to embrace your truth. And God, would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. The things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain this living and active word of God, this gospel good news, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus. And it's in his matchless and holy name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. And the first thing we're going to see is a key to this whole incredible family secret unraveling and the beautiful revelation of Joseph to his own brothers is seeing God in our circumstances, seeing God in our circumstances, because behind it all, in the midst of it all, in front of it all was God. It was God. I mean, God was there. Even in the midst of, of the sinful brothers' behavior, what they meant for evil, and they meant it for evil. They sold Joseph out of hatred. They meant it for evil. God had a plan. God's hand was greater. He meant it for good. And God saw it. I'm sorry, Joseph saw it. Joseph was able to see God in his circumstances that, that gave him the, the ability to do almost the unthinkable. Who could forgive like Joseph, right? I mean, who could, who could say to his brothers when he's, when he's at that moment where they know who he is, when he's at that moment and he has them hanging on the cusp, when they can't say a word because they're dumbfounded that the one they thought they killed could kill them in an instant. Would you play with that for a little bit? Would you, would you just not like want to bow up and just have a few moments of just joy with that? Would you not just want to just like have them be putty in your hand for a minute? Would you not want them to squirm around and, and, and cry like a baby? He's going to have none of it. Why? Because he sees something greater than his own pain. He sees something greater than, than being uh, revengeful. He sees God. He sees God in his circumstances so much so he says, I love it. He says, listen, you sold me into slavery. He's not letting him off the hook. He's not winking at sin. He's not, you know, playing that it didn't happen. You sold me, your brother, into slavery. And yet it was God who sent me here before you. And yet it was God. It was God who did it. I mean, three times God sent, God sent, God sent. Why? Because God wants to preserve life. You try to kill it. You try to take life. God is going to preserve life. Joseph was able to see 
God's hand directing his path, the path of providence. And I'm telling you, if we, if we could live our lives seeing God's hand unfold the things around us, and even, even our own mischief and sin, seeing God's hand, is that he's there, he's with us, he's Emmanuel, a God with us, a God for us. Ephesians 11.1 1 says that this is faith of, of the assurance of things that we're not seeing, just, just knowing that God is there walking by faith. Joseph not only could see God in his circumstances, he could see God in the transformation of his brothers, right? And we, we talked about it. He, he set up these, these incredible stories of like Benjamin being caught with a silver cup. And he set up a story that would replay to his brothers. How are you going to act to a favorite son? Are you going to still be the jerks you were? And he sees amaz- amazing transformation, especially in his brother Judah. Judah, who's going to say, my life for his life. We, we see it. And, and Joseph was seeing God work in his brothers to the point where he could trust them. I think there's some great wisdom here. I mean, you know, who do you trust with the brokenness of your story, right? I mean, if someone's hurting you, you, you want to be careful that you know that God's working in their life before you give them ammunition to hurt you more. And he sees God work. He sees the transformation he sees that instead of despising a favored son like they did him, they, they, they fought for Benjamin, a favored son. They put their life on the line for Benjamin. He saw it. And now it was safe to reveal his identity. He couldn't reveal his identity until it was safe for his brothers to kind of get it. He had to see God working in his brother's life. I think the bottom line for us is this, is that as Christians, we, we really need to have a, a Christian worldview as Christians, those of us who know and love Jesus, we, we must see the world through the lens of God and his scripture and, and of Jesus. We, we have to see shootings in Orlando differently than the world does, right? We have to see the brokenness of the sin around us and inside of us through the lens, through the faith, through the hope of the gospel. So what do we do? Well, we pray thy kingdom come. That's why he says, how should we pray? God, pray. pray to, Jesus teaches us, pray that thy kingdom would come. Thy will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean to see the world and, the, and God in our circumstances? That we seek first the kingdom of God. That your number one priority, my number one priority in all of life is Jesus. That we seek him first, his glory, his honor, his name, his fame, not our own. That we see life that is here now and not yet fully here. That we know that the kingdom has come, but it's not fully here. And maybe the biggest thing for us as Christians with a Christian worldview, if I could use that phrase, is this. Is that we let God define our circumstances instead of our circumstances define our God. And that, that seems to be the, the difference. Are you going to let God define your circumstances and say, hey, I'm a God with you and I can redeem all things? Or are you going to let your circumstances define God? God's forgotten me. God doesn't love me. God's not good enough. God's not strong enough. God's not there. And we got to walk by faith. Remember, it took over 20 years for the story to get to this point. And I know that many of you are, are in the midst of those 20 years or more that, that have been painful and, and difficult and hard. And if you just think that, God, what are you doing over this time? And if you walk away from him, we miss it. And it's by God's grace that he gives us this worldview that we could see that God is working. It took 20 years. I have, a, as you walk out my side door, 
above it is painted by one of my kids, a phrase, and I've preached on this before. It says, perhaps today. And people say, well, what does it mean perhaps today? I said, it's the last message I want to remember. And, and I got it from Charles Spurgeon, my favorite preacher. He lived in the 19th century in England. And uh, he, he had a phrase, perhaps today. Perhaps today is the day. Perhaps today is the day where Jesus is coming back. Perhaps today is the day where no more tears, no more sorrow, no more, no more brokenness. Perhaps today. And just lean by faith that perhaps today, today is the day for your family resolution. Perhaps today is the day for, your, for that marriage click. For, for whatever has to happen. Perhaps today. But perhaps not. You got to walk by faith. Seeing God in your circumstances. If you don't see it, no power, no hope, despair. But if God's grace gives you the ability, what he gave Joseph, to see that it was God, what you meant for you, it was God. Second thing is this, seeing God in our success. The Lord was with Joseph. Okay, we see this. and It actually says it in, in Genesis 39.2, early on in the story, it says this. The success of Joseph as well, the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. Genesis 39.2. Now, don't forget. I love it. It says, by the way, he's been sold into slavery. By the way, he's now a slave in Potiphar's wife uh, and house. And by the way, uh, the Lord was with him and he was successful. He's going to be successful as a slave in someone else's house. He's going to be successful as a, a prisoner. He's going to be successful in all he does. Let God define success. I love the fact that it doesn't say when he rose to become the number two man in all of Egypt, he was successful. God says your success is this. Success is that I am with you. Do you get that? Your success in life is equated to God, Emmanuel, being with you. Success is about him and his work in our lives. Seeing God in our success, the Lord was with him, that God enabled him to interpret dreams. What made Joseph so Joseph-like? What made him so incredibly special? What made Joseph special was that he had this unbelievable ability to interpret dreams. But what does Joseph say about that ability? God gave it to me. He's basically saying, I got nothing. I got nothing. I could do what I do. Why? Because God enabled me to do it. If you could do what you do and and balance a ledger sheet, if you could do what you do and teach a class, if you could do what you do and diagnose an illness, if you could do what you do and and legally read through a document, if you could do what you do and, and, and whatever God has called you to do, it's because God enabled you to do it. And the big and the small. The third thing we see in this God, seeing God in our success is that God not only was with him and enabled him, that God sent him. It's unbelievable. It's not his brothers. It's that God sent him. It says three times in that passage in 45, God sent me before you. God sent me before you. Why? To preserve life. God was doing something. It was God. He was going to save a remnant. God's promises will not fail. It's God. Joseph knows the reality. Joseph is not a self-made man. There is no self-made men or women that God will say are successful. In his eyes, the people who are successful in God's eyes are God-made men and women. 
that they know the reality that, that if you have the ability to, to sell something, you have the ability to do what you do, it's because God has given you that. Say thank you. And realize it's him who made you. I love the fact he even says that God made me a, a Pharaoh, like, like, like a father of the Pharaoh. God did that. I mean, like I, I'm like the man, but God did it. God made me ruler over his household. God made me. I'm a God-made man. I rule over all of Egypt. Joseph knew that God was behind all of his success. And yet, you know what I love about this story? I just love, 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 love it. Here's Joseph, man. He's like, bros, God sent me. Fellas, God made me. Guys, God enabled me. God's done it all. Now listen, when you see our father, when you see my father, would you tell him of all the honor I have here? (laughs) Don't you love that? I mean, don't you love the fact that here's a boy who can't help but tell his daddy that, man, your son's done well, man. I mean, you should see the honor I have here in Egypt. You should see I'm, I'm like the man. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one that God called here. And I love that. I, I understand that. I understand that as a man, that just to have your dad say, hey, well done. I know for some of you, that's not a reality that will ever happen. And I think the more important for all of us is to hear our heavenly father say what he said to Jesus and in Christ, what he says to us. Hey, man, well done. So that's what he does. It's he's going to give, he's going to say, well, let's listen, uh, make sure you tell my dad how well I'm doing. But then, you know, here, here's, the, here's the reality of our story. We, do you not see yourself as Joseph in the story? Isn't it natural for us to say, how do I act like Joseph? I mean, I think that's kind of something, probably something telling about, well, at least me. Let me take it off of you, put it on me. I always want to be the hero, right? I always want to be the good guy. I always want to, I want to be that guy, right? Oh, it's me. How am I going to be like Joseph? And remember, the goal is not to be like Joseph. The goal is to love Joseph's God. But if we really get the story of success, here's a, here's a beautiful, interesting thing. We're Joseph's brothers. I mean, that's where we got to place ourselves in the story. What does success look like for them? Well, success looks like to them is this. They messed it all up. They, they messed it up royally. They were, they were terrible. And yet God, and yet God still provides for him. I mean, that's success. Listen, that's success. It's not like try harder to be like Joseph. The reality is if you've made a huge mess of it and yet God provides. There's a severe famine, but God causes this strange ruler in Egypt to find favor with them and give them their stuff back. They scheme and they sin, and yet God's grace triumphs even over their schemes and their sins. You know what success looks like for us? We make a mess of it and God just makes it by his grace and the gospel beautiful. Our failings in the way we parent, our failings in the way we, we live, and yet we see God provide. You know, he, he sends rain on the righteous and the wicked alike. Do you know how gracious God is? I mean, not only do we got to give God glory in our success, but we have to realize we're Joseph's brothers and we owe it all to Jesus. And then you see Jacob, Jacob or Israel. He's for him. It's like seeing his believing when he, when he is told your, your, your favorite son, Joseph, man, he's alive. He's like, his heart's numb. He's like, I can't, what, what? And it wasn't until he saw it said, it wasn't until he saw the wagons. It wasn't until he saw what God was providing that it says that his spirit was revived and he started getting it. 
And he says, man, unbelievable. Joseph is alive. I'm going to go see him. And here's all I need to know about, about success. God does exceedingly more than we could ask or imagine. He, he had written off Joseph. He was fearful that he might lose Benjamin. He thought he already lost Simeon. And that's just our God doing more than we could think or imagine. But for Jacob, it's sad. For, the, for this patriarch, seeing was believing. And Jesus says this to you and me, those of you who are believers. More blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. More blessed are you who believe in the midst of difficult circumstances that Jesus is there. John 20, verse 29. And then lastly, seeing God in our failures and in our forgiveness and in forgiveness. Let me tell you something that you don't know necessarily or or that you don't live out. Well, I say that because I don't know and live out very much, very often. We got to see this. This is incredible. There's beauty in your brokenness. Whoa, whoa. There's beauty in your brokenness. Can I tell you that your brokenness has a way of, through that brokenness, magnifying the beauty of God's grace? I don't think we'd ever understand who God is. I don't think we'd ever understand the depth of his love for sinners like us. I don't think we would get it if we didn't understand that we were broken. And it's in the midst of the brokenness that you can see that, that our shattered lives somehow reflect and refract a beauty of God that would never be seen unless we were broken. And it's true. It magnifies the glory of God. We just never know the depth of his love until we know the depth of our own depravity. Joseph tells his brothers, it's crazy. He tells his brothers, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. How in the world can someone forgive that much? What are you holding on to? What are you unable to forgive? What is like drawing the line? No, I, I, can't, I can't go there. That's just... You know, one of the things that I had to wrestle with is this is part of my, part of my family story is that we, I've, I, I, I had a grandmother, I had a godly grandmother and one who was not so godly. And this other godly grandma, she had, she had the ability to say, you're dead to me. She had the ability to see someone who had wounded her. And I know that she was left by her father at childbirth. And I know that she had some really deep wounds and those wounds predicted produced a pretty bitter woman at times. And when she was good, she was very good. And when she was bad, she was awful. And that what she could do with hate was something like I've never seen before. Because she could fuel hate. And she could hang on to hate. And she could use it as a lever. And she could, she could use it to define her. And it could, she could use it to make that heart of hers really, really hard. And I heard my own family, and I've heard it repeated even recently, that you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Joseph had every reason in the world to say to his brothers, you're dead to me. You treated me like this. You're dead to me. But because of the grace of God and because of the gospel, it's incredible that he was able to do something that only someone touched by God can do. And that is forgive. 
And you'll never be able to forgive if you don't see God in your circumstances. And you'll never be able to forgive unless you, you realize there's something greater. If you're going to let your, the sin against you define who you are, you're going to become a mean, bitter, cold, broken person. But if you let the gospel shine into the brokenness of your story, and you let the love of Christ warm your broken, bruised, wounded, sinful heart, something beautiful happens. And you have something divine, and that is a power to forgive. Somehow Joseph saw God's goodness and seeing God led to forgiveness. How could he forgive so much? But there's another part of this that we have to see. And he says to his brothers something really interesting on their way home. He says to them in verse 24, listen, don't quarrel among yourselves. Do you love that? How many times have you been on a family vacation in the car and all you're doing is screaming at each other, right? I mean, they're going to head back and they're going to have a lot of time to be like quarreling with themselves. And you know what he was saying? Here's what he's saying. Forgive yourself. He was saying that you have to forgive yourself. Do not play the blame game on the way home. How easy would that have been for self-justification? I told y'all so. I knew it all along. I thought that guy might be Joseph. Or the what-if game. I mean, how many what-if games? Well, whoa, whoa, if you didn't do this, that would have happened. We, you know, and, and what would have been happening? I mean, really, it would have been a lack of, of celebrating God's grace and goodness. It would have been a lack of that. And it would have been all turned on themselves. And they would have been self-justifying. They would have not have been forgiving. And all of a sudden, he's like, just becomes this mess of argument. And he says, listen, don't quarrel with yourself along the way. Why? Forgive yourself. Because God was there in the midst of it all. He's forgive yourself is basically saying forgive and move on, but you can't do that until you repent and believe. But if you repent of your sin and believe in the gospel, you are forgiven and free. You're free. You're free. God doesn't want your past sins to be what defines you. He wants the grace of God to define you. Some of us have the hardest time forgiving ourselves. Some of us have found the strength to forgive others, but just haven't found the strength to forgive ourselves. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is you got to forgive yourself. Love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love your neighbor if you're hating and loathing yourself. I know I've been there. Jesus tells a story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. There's this Pharisee, this religious guy, invites him for dinner, and he doesn't really love Jesus much. He's really trying to expose him. And at dinner, the party gets crashed by the town harlot. And the town harlot shows up, and she's making a huge scene. She's weeping all over Jesus' feet, and she's washing his feet with her tears and drying it with her hair. And I mean, it's, it's, it's like a social faux pas, and... This, this religious guy saying, this Jesus dude, this guy can't be for real. He doesn't even know who's touching her, touching him. He doesn't know who this girl's reputation is. He, if he was so good and mighty and godlike, wouldn't he know that this is the town whore that's actually like touching all over him? And he turns to the religious guy and says, let me tell you something, Simon. You haven't done any nicety to me. You've shown me very little. And this woman can't stop loving me. Because she, although her sins are many, has been forgiven much. She loves much because she's forgiven much. But those who are forgiven little, you love little. If you have little love for others, if you have little love for God, it's because you've been forgiven little. 
It's because you're self-righteous and because you don't think that you're as bad as you really are. And, you, and you're self-justifying and you think that, that you really don't need a very big Savior. You just need a little Savior. You just need a little God to help you like cross the finish line. You don't need him to be grand and huge and mighty and, and unbelievably gracious because you alone, you're okay. And you love little. But if by God's grace, you see the reality of who you are and how depraved you are, and you understand the chasm between your sin and Jesus's righteousness, and he bridged every step of it, every inch of it, you begin to love a lot. You begin to see, oh my gosh, oh, I don't deserve any of this. It's all by God's grace. Unbelievable. He, he loves a sinner like me. Watch the people who get it sing. Watch them weep. Watch them weep. And you'll say, how do they weep in this song? Why is grace so amazing? Because they knew their depravity was so deep. And sometimes religious people like Simon, they miss it. They don't see it. I'm pretty good, they say. They need a little teeny Jesus. But to those who know the truth, and it's the truth, that there's nothing righteous in us, that our righteous acts are like filthy rags in God's sight. And yet he loves. We've been forgiven much. We should love much. See, the good news of the Bible is this. There's a greater Joseph than the Joseph in the story. There's a greater Joseph. His name is Jesus. And this Jesus is the one who's rescued us. Us, his sinful brothers. He's provided for us. Us, the ones who want to sell him into slavery. Us. He's provided all we need for salvation. This Jesus, he's the one who forgives. He's the one who heals. He's the one who provides. The story is really about him. You see, there's a greater Judah. There's a greater Judah. Judah, who was willing to lay his life down for a brother. It's the greater Judah is Jesus, who did take our blame, although it wasn't his. Who did bear our shame, although it wasn't his. Who truly does say, take my life and set them free. It's Jesus. Jesus who wants to define us, not our family secrets. It's Jesus. He'll provide us all the carts we need, all that we need until we can make our way home and that we can see him face to face. It's Jesus. Let us pray. Father, thanks for loving us so much that our family secrets aren't safe with you. That our family secrets are going to be exposed to the light of the gospel if we're yours. And you want to shine grace and mercy into all that's broken. And God, it's not that you're going to fix it immediately. It took like 22 plus years for the story starting to turn with Joseph. And we know that part of the family story is that there's going to be a Pharaoh who comes who forgets Joseph. And they're going to go back to slavery. But God, your grace shines into all of it. And you always finish what you begin God, I pray for, for this pastor's heart and for this congregation that, that, God, you would reveal to us that you are involved in all of our circumstances, that you are there, that you would show us that you're behind all of our success, even when we're Joseph's brothers, and that, God, that your gospel would give us the ability and power to forgive others and to forgive ourselves, and that you would define us and not our circumstances. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.